Zone, Slam City, episode number five. Gotta love having the three amigos back together again. Unqua Sonye, Raymond Mora, Jeremy Epstein, the venerable producer. He's always the calm head in the room. It pays off. Yeah. <laughs> One of us has to be. Uh, you know. We have our peaks, we have our valleys, etc., etc., etc. Bruce Lee would be proud. Just one hard shot. He, I bet you he grew up taking karate lessons. So I learned that Steve Kerr and I have something in common. We broke clipboards, but mine didn't look anywhere as cool as his. What happened was I, I was coaching one of my teams. We had a very bad stretch. I was so frustrated. I literally tossed my clipboard and it snapped in half. Wait, you threw it or you physically broke it? No, I literally, I, I, was, I flipped out. I didn't throw it. Not a baseball throw. It was one of those, it's one of those flips where you have it, you're disgusted, you just drop it and say, ah. Because Steve and it Kerr threw a right hand into the clipboard yeah, and Yeah, he literally shattered. just threw it right into, and shattered it. He and threw a punch like, wow. That's how I said we had something in common, but mine didn't look nearly as cool. But it, he like didn't really time. even throw a right hand. He was holding a marker. Oh, he his fist was balled he, up, and he, he just, punched he into punched it. And he was right holding through. a marker. This is the second time he's done this, though. Yeah, that's his go one of his go-to moves. His go-to moves, everything goes tough. Just break the clipboard, and you get another one, and hopefully everything goes out. Cause yeah, they're not that expensive. For some reason, yeah, that's how it is. But looking at what happened yesterday, and boy, that I tell some people when I said that the Warriors could win in five, even though it's just one game, but just the matchup-wise, I kind of felt like they were much tougher and pretty much better on defense than the Cavaliers. I didn't understand Cleveland's defensive game plan. They just basically left the Warriors bench guys and the others open for shots, and they obviously hit them because they're at the top of their game. The Warriors bench is the best in the NBA. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I kind of saw it coming. I just didn't think Curry and Thompson will be 8, uh, eight for 27. And I think that's a really bad harbinger for the Cavaliers because some people are looking at it to say, well, you know, the bench won't always do this well, but, you know, you can try and limit Steph and Clay. My thing is this. It's the exact opposite, right? It's like you said, the Splash Brothers aren't going to have an off night like that very often, that there's no reason for me to ever believe that Cleveland's actually got enough to take the full series. I think it'll go six because LeBron's good for one at home, and then there's one game he'll just do it all himself. But I, I, I don't see it. I really don't. If you said that the Splash Brothers were going to go eight for 27, Clay Thompson would have less than 10 points, you would assume Cleveland would be up 1-0. Absolutely. And yeah, they got blown out. Basically, up by 15. They won the game by 15. It almost like Golden State just decided to stop playing around, and they turned it up, and Cleveland just couldn't get to that next gear. And they were playing at a slow pace. Remember when Tyron Lue coming into the series, he said that he wanted to play at their pace. They've been playing throughout the Eastern Conference, but they couldn't because they know if they did, they'll just fall into it's the Warriors. It's a big mistake. You can't speed up the Warriors. Yeah. It's a complete, complete and I think mistake. That, I think that's what's causing them to be uh, – Stagnant on offense because they're not. They used to so playing at a high pace, but when they're playing like that, I don't think they're used to playing. At Their a slow ball pace. movement was terrible last night. There was a lot of stagnation. Everything that they did so well in the first three rounds of the playoffs, they kind of abandoned in the game one of the finals. And they're playing through LeBron basically, like they did last final, even with uh, Irving and Love. I mean, LeBron still had like he was twenty three, tw uh, twelve and nine, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, you, know, you know, one of my friends, and shout out to Rob for this one. I just gave him a name drop because I think it'd be fun to do. But what he said, the way he iterated it to me was he feels like the Warriors are ticked off because 
all they've heard since they won the title last year was, oh, not everybody was healthy for Cleveland. Wouldn't you be too? I mean, I they're be, not getting I'd any credit. It's like Cleveland's getting all the credit for being hurt and playing well. The Warriors aren't getting credit for the adjustments they made in game three of the finals to go small. And they blitzed Cleveland the last three games of that series after they were down 2-1. But I always said this before. Like, even with Irving and Love back, they're not good defensively. Thank the, the you. Last, last year they were great because they were a good defensive team, Cleveland. That's what slowed them down. But this year it's like... They, they they have offensive pieces, but when it comes to playing defense, they're not really good at it. Uh, they, Kevin Love can't guard anybody. Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. isn't the great defensively. He's when a sieve. He, he's a sieve. I mean, who do you, I mean? They had Delvadova playing the big minutes, but and he's great defensively, but he can't play offensively. So yeah, yeah so I'm saying like they have a lot of one way players, and the Warriors yeah, have no a lot of two way players. Andrew Wiggins would look real good right now. That trade looks terrible right but now. But let me chill. Let me chill. Well, that's how the perfect would have been the perfect lineup to counter the Golden State Warriors small ball if you really think about it. Yeah, because Kevin Love, I mean, let's be honest, he's, he's they pretty much make him to become a Mike Miller of the. Of the they basically use Packers. him as Channing Fry, except Kevin Love is really good in the post. Yeah, and they did the same thing with Chris Bosh when LeBron was with the Heat, and they're doing the same thing with Kevin Love, and it just they're trying to make him a three point shooter, and I feel like that's what's I want to say the stag uh, causing them to develop him to go you know short or anything, but it's just like they're not gonna be up to their potential. Well, he checks out. Like There was a lot of talk that Dwight Howard would mentally check out in Houston when James Harden would just dribble the ball. That's what Kevin Love does. When he doesn't get the ball a few possessions in a row, he just checks out. Defensively, he's not. you can look at his rebounding numbers. I mean, he had a good rebounding game last night. But overall, everything's down across the board because he's he really needs the ball, needs to see it going in the basket on the offensive end to get the energy defensively. But who can you blame, though? It has to be on Kyrie Irving because most of the time you see him dribbling the ball and he's not really passing anybody. And though he made one pass yesterday, J.R. Smith would get his first three. But after that, it's just like Irving playing one-on-one most of the time, getting a screen, trying to get his own shot. I mean, ball movement has to be sort of a team thing. I know the point guard gets the blame a good portion of the time because they're usually bringing the ball up. But it, it really has to be a team thing. Because if one person's passing and everyone else isn't, then you're going to say to the one that's passing, he's not being aggressive enough. Well, it's also that Love, Thompson, and LeBron basically all play the same position. Thompson's an undersized center. Love is playing power forward. And at this stage of his career, LeBron's a power forward. So they all literally really need to be close to the paint to be effective. Yeah, and the problem is that they can't even get to the paint because when they do, they either get blocked, stripped. I mean, the equal dollar had two strips on, Le- uh, well, basically on LeBron, but also on Irving. And the one strip he had on Irving, it was just like a statement strip. I mean, really, he just slapped it down, and it's like, like it's not going to happen today. That's basically what they're saying. Plus, the competition in the East, you can't compare it. The reason Cleveland looks so great, even though they're a pretty good team, is because look who they played against. You know, game two is going to be an important game because I felt like Cleveland's going to have to win this game. If they don't win this game going 0-2 down back at home, I, I can see either a sweep or end in five. Well, you got to make adjustments, and obviously they will. Look at the Oklahoma City-San Antonio series when San Antonio just blew Oklahoma City out in game one. They made the necessary adjustments and came back and won the series. I don't see Cleveland doing that in terms of winning the series, but I could see Cleveland making some adjustments that will help them be more competitive. Maybe offensively they can do some adjustments, but they really it comes down to defense. That's why I said when I when I wrote this post uh, for the website, um, I said they went in five words because of the defense, and I feel like they have they're mentally tougher in terms of closing out games. And I feel like Cleveland, you know, they're gonna be good in spurts, but when it comes to like crunch time and defensively, they just they're not as great. 
Well, you have to look at it in terms of can Cleveland really overcome the Warriors switching and how the speed of their defense? I don't think so. Jamal Green's getting any shot he wants. This this series is more better for him than last series because last series was more of the length of the Thunder. But this series is he's defended by Kevin Love. They gave him open threes, and he's gonna if he drills those threes, this is different. It's gonna be a different game anyway. I mean, Cleveland can't do much of a better job on Curry and Thompson, but they're they're gonna have to face a quandary. They're gonna have to, you know, lay off a little bit of them to chart if make sure the other guys don't get hot or you could rely on the same defense and think well the the bench isn't going to beat us every game and even then you still have the possibility of both thompson and curry making the ridiculous shots that they make it's almost damned if you do damned because those don't. are absolutely deflating when steph when there's like a few seconds on the shot clock and steph just chucks up a 30 footer and it goes in yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're not going to have them play like this again. Eventually, I think game two, they're going to play better. And that's going to be a problem for Cleveland. Because this, I think yesterday was their only chance of stealing a game uh, on the road, in my opinion. Ooh, that's, I don't know. I don't know. That. They lost game one last year, and they came back to win game two. And yeah. that was after Kyrie got hurt, too. Yeah, yeah, but a game where you had Curry and Thompson, you know, pretty much eight for 27, and you have the rest of the team playing well. I mean, that that's, that's kind of deflating and kind of. Bad well, general. Cleveland didn't play well offensively last night. Their bench was awful. They, I think, they were at scored forty-five to ten. Yeah. So, but I mean, did we really expect much from? But Jr. Smith though? didn't play well at all. He took three shots the whole game. I hurt his hand on that fall, but I don't know how serious that is. So offensively, Cleveland did not play a good game. So it's really going to be interesting to see the offensive adjustments they make to the game. But play. I still want to know: Did we really expect much from their bench? Yeah, Channing Fry lit up the Raptors. I've been okay. saying there's no way. That's one of the reasons why I thought no matter who came out of the West, they would destroy Cleveland because look who they were relying on. Richard Jefferson couldn't get off the bench for Golden State a couple years ago when he was on the team, and now they're expecting him to make a valuable contribution. I mean, it's just it's too much. And it happened. they're playing pretty much seven or eight guys Cleveland, and that's why LeBron's going to play like 40-something minutes. Yeah, Golden State played 10 guys yesterday, all of whom contributed. Leandro Barbosa hit every shot he took. Yeah, that guy's still Brazilian blur for a reason. And Livingston was just on another level anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the team is just so deep, and it's just you, – you think you, you Cleveland have a chance because people are pulling for Cleveland to win, but it's not enough. It just isn't. So, obviously, the team that takes away from the NBA Finals is the New York Knicks, who introduced Jeff Hornacek earlier today. Mm. And the big takeaway from that is he did say there will be aspects of the triangle in their offense. Here we go. Well, it's not a surprise. I mean, you got Phil Jackson, he's your president, so you're going to have some triangle into it. But the Spurs, the Warriors, even the Cavaliers run variations of the triangle. It just can't be your sole system. It works. That's why I'm hoping that when you say they're aspects of the triangle, I really hope they don't try to run the triangle as a whole because even Hornacek didn't really run the triangle when he was in Phoenix. No, he didn't. If you look at it, he was all about speedball, getting the ball up and down the court. Even when they had the point guards they had there at times, they had Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe the year they won 48 games. They signed Isaiah Thomas that one year and sometimes went to a three-point guard lineup before they traded him to Boston in that terrible trade they made. Mm-hmm. So he's going he's gonna to look to push the ball. Obviously, the point guard is going to be a really important part of that system, so they really need to sign somebody. And that's why I really think that if anyone's really, really happy about this change, it's got to be Jaron Grant. Yeah, because you can play an up-tempo offense. But I don't know if he can shoot well enough to be successful in this offense. But, I mean, the only downside about this is you think Ramage might come back as an assistant just so he's going to try and go. It's interesting because, like, he's obviously Phil Jackson's guy. So if he's the assistant, he obviously could go over your head to Phil. 
And I don't understand how Hornacek can keep him on the staff. I could see him in an advisory front office role. I can see that. I mean, it's That's really possible. tough to keep. I mean, Herb Williams, though, every time a coach got fired, he was always the interim coach, and they always kept him. <laughs> He's still there, right? So, no, they got Herb left when um, Mike Woodson got fired. Yeah, because, I mean, he, he had to go. I mean, he's been there for so many years. Right? What has he done to improve the team? But it's going to be interesting to see because Jeff Hornacek did talk about ways he'd use Chris Stapps Porzingis in the offense. I think that's going to be interesting. And I think Carmel he'd help too. him with big-time development in his game. I mean, it's going to depend on the system, but it really is on the players. They're going to have to get the players in the offseason to, to figure in the system what they're going to do. But that's, what I, but that's what I'm asking, though. We're talking about Porzingis developing. Why can't Grant develop a jumper over the offseason? I mean, Jeff Hornacek's one of the best shooters. Maybe he could help him out with his jump shot. Jeff Hornacek, there are videos on the internet of him really helping out Archie Goodwin with his jump shot, like telling him you're jumping too high, you're not jumping high enough. So I feel like his addition, because Hornacek was a great shooter in his day. He's a fantastic shooter. I mean, obviously he's going to help him out a little bit. It's just he really struggled with the adjustment from the college to the NBA three-point line. He's going to help out him. He's going to help out Porzingis. He'd probably help out Marlo a little bit too. You know, figure out maybe get more effective. Well, overall, basketball wise, Carmelo had one of his best years passing the ball, rebounding the ball. He had a really good year last year all around. And people really got lost because the team wasn't winning. I think people really lost that. And we have to really understand, and, and at least I think we really understand, that Carmelo was still a top 20 player. Top five score too, and people just get because people get so bogged down in the triangle. I think Phil Jackson, what he's really into is system basketball. If you have a system that works, you run that. But people are so into the triangle because it's so controversial and it wasn't working and the Knicks weren't winning is that they harp on that as a reason they weren't successful. Not that they didn't make good coaching adjustments. Mm -hmm. That Derek Fisher didn't really do a great job after he was 22 and 22 and then he got fired. Then Kurt Rambis did an even worse job. I mean, it's not just the triangle. It is the players running it, too. Who do you think who they have to get in the offseason to, to make them, their system work? Well, they clearly need work? a point guard. That's well, in today's yeah, NBA, you need yeah. a point guard. Yeah. The, I mean, the, he's in the league right now with all these point guards. I mean, everybody's I mean good look at their division. Guard. They have Kyle Lowry and Isaiah Thomas in it. <laughs> yeah. And there's rumors that the Sixers might get Jeff Teague for New Orleans Noel. Oh, so that's boy. another point guard the Knicks are going to have to go up against. So they got who can they get, though? What's affordable? I mean, you got to look at the free agent options. You got to look at some of the point guards in the draft. It's going to be, I mean, you got guys in the open market like Rondo, but I don't know if he'd be no, a great I don't fit. Think he'll come. So it's going to be an interesting summer. But, I mean, they're going to look for the draft. There's reports that they're trying to get a first round pick. They've worked out guys like Yogi Ferrell and Isaiah Whitehead. So why don't they just develop who they have? Because who, other than Jaron Grant, who do they have? They have Langston Galloway. Yeah, he's more and, who, of a and he's a free he's agent. A he's more he's of a, a free agent. Oh, boy. He's more he's of restricted. A, he's more of a backup, though. I just feel like he's not a guy that you can count on as being a starter. I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to go into the draft and use another first-round pick on a point guard, that doesn't really send a great message to me. I mean, they're not going to get a first-round pick or, like, a late first-round, second-round pick because they don't have the pick because of that great trade for Andrea Bargnani. <laughs> <laughs> he's not in the league anymore. Masai anyway. Ujiri really came and got Fleece us on I've never seen a player that bad though, like Bariani though. Well, never develop at all. And he's nah, not a good then, let's not waste any airtime on him. Back to the topic. <laughs> just saying though. Like, I mean, when you talk about developing Grant, does that mean just throwing him into the fire or trying to get a veteran point guard to help him along? The problem I him. have, Calderon can help him. My thing is this: whenever we go into the veteran point guard, young guy, what happens when the young guy stumbles and falls? The veteran automatically jumps in. It's his second year in the league. Well, rather, it will be his second year in the league. And I feel like he never really got time the, the time or the trial yeah. by fire for you to say, okay, this isn't working. 
So when I hear that there are reports that they're going after one point guard or another point guard, it feels very hasty to me. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be determined though who's gonna be that veteran point guard that can help out Grant. So like, I don't know. I don't think it's gonna be Rondo. Definitely ain't gonna be Mike Conley. It could be Jeremy Lin. <laughs> you want Jeremy? <laughs> Lin, you want Jeremy Lin back? You act like he. Who? What are the better options? Look at the year he had in Charlotte. My thing is, I'm not. A, I'm not against Jeremy Lin coming back. I just think it'd be all sorts of ironic. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I don't think he'd come back at all. I think he's looking for a big contract. I, I think he might he had go a really to the good Nets year, for all though. we know. We'll reunite with Kenny Atkinson, who was big. He might go to Houston with D'Antoni. <sighs> you want Harden and him again? Speaking of D'Antoni, how random is that? For the way Houston wants to play, it's it, it it's an interesting hire. But like I said on last week's show, when Daryl Morey said who we're going to look for in a head coach, he said it was going to be someone who could help our defensive deficiencies. And he hired Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> well, look at it this way. He's going to score a lot of points, so you expect 120 but you gotta expect to give up 130. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and Harden already doesn't play defense. He can't. He doesn't even play defense. He just reaches in and and, and he doesn't even touch them when on the fast break. I don't know what he does. I Harden. think he looks at Harden as a bigger Steve Nash, a six five guy who could push the ball. So he did average seven assists, but I mean it's gonna be tough to fit. They really they didn't. They brought in Ty Lawson last year. He failed miserably. He'd actually be good in that system. I think Ty Lawson's a free agent, too, so that could be another guy that needs to look out for. put Harden at point guard? Is that possible? I mean, he's going to control the ball a lot of the time. That's James Harden needs the ball to so be effective. Put him at point guard, though. So that's why you need a point guard who can shoot, and the Houston Rockets really don't have that with Patrick Beverly. He's not really the greatest three-point shooter in the world. What would happen, do you think, if Beverly got moved off the ball permanently for Harden? To Listen, Beverly, I, I think it's regress. A it wouldn't work player, out because he's really offensively deficient. I yeah. mean, he really can't shoot that well. He just regressed a lot, probably, though. But defensively, he's he's unbelievable. He'll pick you up 94 feet. He'll get into you. He's nasty. He's, he's a pesk. He's like a pesk. He's absolutely. A pesk. The Yankees have won 33 pennants and 22 world championships. We're winners. We don't sit with losers. So we were talking off air before we you know, got things started, and Jeremy actually brought up a really good point. Since the Yankees are, how you say, mediocre right Struggling. now and it's the first time really in our series that we've gotten a chance to talk baseball and i think now is a good time to ask the question if the boss may he rest in peace was still alive today would he have cleaned house by now i would clean house in a mile and, I, and it's not even close i felt like his stretch especially with the record right now the 25 and 28 but before that they were like 8 and 15 so they were going to clean house. I don't know about clean house, but someone would have definitely got fired, whether it be Joe Girardi, Alan Cockrell, the hitting coach. Someone would have definitely lost their job. I think Joe Girardi would have lost his job. I think that's unfair. Yeah, I don't think that's fair. Like, what, what do you want Joe Girardi to do? Look at his lineup. Look who he has to rely on for production. What? Well, they need some motivation for these players. I mean, they expect it to be better than they were last year, apparently, from Brian Cashman. Like, but, look at the, maybe the starting – maybe Larry Rothschild would be fired because look at the starting pitching that's – but, like – but you can't play Joe Girardi for the fact that Michael Pineda forgot to throw a strike. And let's face it. I mean, Joe Girardi has really been constant year in, year out. His, first, his second year, rather, in Vince Stripes, they won a World Series. They haven't had a losing season in nearly two decades. And as far as Girardi's tenure is concerned, they've never won less than 85 games. And they... It, 
definitely overachieved last year, even though they really sputtered down the stretch. I mean, you got an old roster. You got A-Rod at 40. You got Beltron at 39. You got the share with injury problems. I mean, it's just Ellsbury's, like, underachieving, Gardner underachieving. These guys are just underachieving right now. Well, with the AL as a weak league as a whole, right the, now, question, yeah. the question is, do you blow it up? Or with that three-headed monster at the end of the bullpen, do you I, just hope they turn it around? I want to blow it up. And the reason why I wouldn't blow it up because, like you said, the AL is right now weak. I mean, there's no one in the AL that's separating themselves from being a top team right now. Everybody else is either mediocre or average. But in the end, though, you have, like, top five teams in the league right now that could contend for a championship. Can we keep it all the way live right now? If we were to really, really dissect why the Yankees are as mediocre as they are, it's because they should have blown things up. Two or three years ago. Well, they should have not signed Ellsbury. That's the one mistake they made. McCann was a good signing, but Ellsbury was a bad signing. Well, it's tough to, as Yankees to rebuild. Exactly, because they've they've set a pretty impossible standard. It goes against the grain of everything that, you know, the Steinbrenner family really believes in. And it also means that, really, the Yankees are stuck like this. They're really going to be stuck like this because they're not rebuilding through the draft. Nope. And they're not really – they're not going to get a Bryce Harper through the draft. They're not going to get a Mike Trout in the draft because, first of all, in the MLB, you can't really trade for draft picks like that. And plus, it's not – it's so different than other sports because you don't get impact players right away. You've developed them through the farm system. And yeah, exactly. It takes years. Waiting, but, those, but those players with high ceilings, when you pick 20th or lower than that, you're not really going to get a good shot at those guys. You could look at trying to sell Carlos Beltran for the highest value he's going to get. He's having a relatively good year. I mean, not sell call, high on Carlos. I mean, do you really want right to? I mean, do you really want to sell Carlos Beltran? He has one year left. More? You have to sell him though. You can't sell a Rod. No one's going to. No one's going to take a Rod. So well, let's just leave that out there. No one's going to take. He's A-Rod. hitting one seventy. Exactly, but either way, if he was hitting well, there's still no guy taking with that big contract that he had. So it's either Beltran or Gardner or. Maybe in some degree, maybe Ellsbury, you but I don't. Get I can't get rid of Ellsbury. That contract is so bad. Yeah, but uh, that signing was bad from the beginning. They should have just signed Cano. It was trash, though. They shouldn't sign Cano. Well, I don't know about that, but Ellsbury. You but Cano was having a fantastic year. Yeah, but look, Cano when he struggled durable. last year. What did everyone say about him? Yeah, but Cano was durable at least. Ellsbury's not durable. He gets injured at least every ten games, and then he comes out. And he's injured again. Plus, they gave out. you gave a seven, eight-year contract to a guy <laughs> whose game is predicated on his legs. Yeah, but he's the thing not is, a young guy either. So as he ages, it's only going to get worse. But Gerard's not even using his, his speed right now. Like they they become so much of a home run team that they, they can't even play small ball. They don't have much speed as it is. Gardner doesn't run. Gardner just regressed. After the All-Star break, he just went he had downhill. a tough year. After the All-Star break, something happened. that well, just it's the Injuries? Is it maybe too much playing time? I don't know. I mean, he does can't play a lot of games. too much playing time. He's been a starter for a few years now. But I just can't understand Gerard's philosophy of resting players, even the young players. Like, there's moments this season where he rested D.D. Gregorius. Like, he's not old. They're it's not a old. long season. 162 games. 162 games. Yeah, but these are young players. So what? What happened back then when you used to play people 162 games? You're not going to do that anymore. Nobody played 162 games. Don't let anybody tell you that lie. Yeah, but they're not old. They're not 35 or 30. I understand they are, but they're only 25, It doesn't 26. matter. They're not going to get to 35 or even more than that if they play every day. 
It just doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you rest Didi Gregorius on a night when you feel like you can rest him? Especially if you're going to need him. You're going to need him this weekend. Yeah, but he's he's a young player. He's not old. But everybody needs rest. Your rest is on the breaks. You you sign up to play baseball for 162 games. You didn't sign up to rest during the season. What are you talking about? If you're young. These are very tacit. These are very basic principles of sports, period, or even work. But if you're a young player, especially if you're really young, you c- you can play 162 games. If you're an old player, I understand. Nobody plays 162 games. Nobody. And that's a problem because if you're not injured, if you're, there's nothing wrong with you, why you need a rest day? It's not like you're 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 getting any older. If you're there, but, but like let's say. I understand for Beltran and A-Rod, they're old. So I understand they need, need rest days. But if you're like 25, 26, you're fine. Why you need a rest well, day? What if you're not seeing the ball well, you're struggling at the plate, you just give a day off to just kind of decompress, watch some film, just watch someone else, watch the pitcher just throw that you don't have to really think about anything. You got to go through You got to go through the struggle, man. I mean, I mean, this is why I don't like the, this new age of baseball where you just rest players even when they're young. Like back then you used to have players play 162 Can games. Can we get out of this idiotic sort of – I'm looking for the word. This, there we go. This extra nostalgic view of baseball back in the day. It's so silly. It's really very silly because if they back then knew what we knew now about how to take care of a pitcher's arm, would any apes throw three times a week? No. Tommy John surgeries are actually up, so I don't know. If yeah, but regardless, regardless of no, I am because. Well, Tommy John surgeries are completely... It's completely different. Well, let me put you in this perspective. Well, no, because okay. they're not being rested. They're throwing more than ever. If you really look at it going from the amateurs to the MLB, the pitchers are used more than ever now. I know. I'm speaking more on I'm speaking more on the major league level than I'm talking about the the whole problem hey, you look with way baseball back. pitching. Look at like Jack Morris and play, pitchers like that who pitched in the early 90s. They threw whenever. They never took... They never wanted to not take the ball. Well, let me put you in this perspective, okay? Let's say you're a fan. We waited so many uh, days just to go see your favorite player. And they don't see him because he's resting for that day particularly. And you probably won't see him again because it's pretty hard to get tickets these days, even though it isn't, but you could get bleacher seats. But I'm saying just turn that perspective. That's not Welcome just, to sports. That's not just an MLB problem. The Spurs do that all the time. Well, it's a sport pro- problem. But I'm saying for baseball in general, I know it's a long season, but what, I'm just saying if you're an older player, I understand. But if you're a young player, I don't think it's necessary for you to rest for one game. I also don't think it's like these guys are always going – I always need a break. I always need a break. They want to play. No, sometimes they it's based play. on the matchup, too. Like, if a left-handed pitcher's on the mound, you're well, going to yeah. play another now, guy. So it's more analytics it's right now. It's more analytics, and I understand that. And that's but a day off is a day off, the game. no? You, but you just said a day off is a day off, no? Yeah. But I'm saying, like, if, let's say that schedule, you have a day off where everybody rests. I mean, you, you could play all those games and get that day off. I understand it's a, it's a marathon this season. I understand there's a lot of analytics involved in terms of matchups, but... Sometimes you just got to go with your gun, play with your best player on the field. All right, so the example you used was D.D. Gregorius. So the Yankees are 25 and 28. So if you, you played him more, would they be really that much better? Yeah, but would they be better defensively? That's but what would you, what would, so what would you do to fix the Yankees? The only thing I'll tell is they're they going to have to find a way to get uh, either Ellsbury or A-Rod going. Because they, they're not going, they're not going to win any games. I mean, Castro, he is what he is. He's a streaky hitter. I know people got excited in the first couple of games what he did, but... We all know he was a streaky hitter, and he was going to hit a hit wall eventually, but he'll come back around. But they need to get those two going. I mean, what else can you do? 
There's nothing else you can do with this team. This team is just, they, they're all god-awful. Every time you look at them, I feel like I'm watching a, a JV baseball game where you can't hit the ball against a varsity team. As a baseball coach, I'm just going to step in and say that that's not anywhere near accurate at all. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's awful looking at the team itself. They, they, they can't hit. They, they can barely even save save games now because that's what they almost blew him in on the one five four. I mean, the, the team is just awful. So with the climate in New York, do you think New York fans would accept the rebuild instead of mediocrity? They can't because this is New York City and we're a bunch of stubborn fans. That so what are you going to gonna do to <sighs> fix them, though? Then you're, in, the, then you're gonna, in a continuing cycle. Yeah, but, I mean, fans, you know, the Yankee fans, the spoiled fans that they are, that which we are, some of us are, um, they just want to win ta- games. He ain't talking about anybody in this room. I'm um, tell you well, I, well, I'm not spoiled fan like the other ones, but I'm saying, like, I, I mean, we're going to have to have a down year eventually, but you know how Yankee fans just want to win every year and be in the conversation for World Series, and right now it isn't. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. We, we talked about how irrational Yankee fans are. Some Mets fans want to take Terry Collins' head off. Don't get me wrong. He's made some very... Very, 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 very. There aren't enough varies to justify some of the decisions that he's made. But with that being said, you're still in a pretty good spot. And a division that you can take. So I I don't see what the problem is. and I don't see why everyone's in total uproar. Well, there's a couple of things I understand about that whole situation. Just pitch and see what happens because as of right now Maori has a long way to go in terms of being the top pitcher of this pitching staff it's it's Norris and the it's it's the Grom it's Mats it's even Cologne I mean Harvey's got a long way to go regardless well the division's incredibly winnable the lineup is just gonna have to get better it, they're gonna be a little lost without Lucas dude I'm curious to know what you guys think of the new James Loney signing I love it and it's I know that okay. I, I, I know that Lucas Duda is still under contract but I have a very crazy gut feeling that Lucas Tudor's days are numbered. I don't know about that. I think Loney's uh, a good stopgap for now. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think, think I don't think James on. I don't think James Loney gets enough credit for how a how well he feels at first base, which he does way better than Lucas Duda anyway. And B, he's a good contact hitter. And frankly, the Mets haven't been tearing the cover off the ball offensively anyway. Why not get somebody in the lineup that doesn't have to be a big swing and miss guy? Someone that can give you a double down the line and doesn't have to hit it out of the park to be an effective hitter. I don't think it's a guy you can count on, though, every day. I think it's a guy who can come off, you know, give you game two, maybe three games, but not a guy who can just, like, you can play him every day. He's game. been an everyday player before. He went to the World Series with the Rays. Yeah, but I, you, when it comes to Lucas Dua, I mean, he comes back, he has he's, he's a power hitter, and I think they need him in the lineup because they're struggling right now in the match regardless. They need somebody who can hit. They needed a fusion of power, but especially in that ballpark, having a contact hitter yeah. is imperative. Because you look at Curtis Granderson, he's kind of a hit-or-miss guy, a home run or bust. Um, they have a few guys like that, but it's going to be interesting also to see what they're going to do now about David Wright, who has a long contract left, a big time, and now a herniated disc. They're going to have to replace him as well in the lineup. And he's supposed to be out a couple of weeks, too. So, I mean, we, we kind of got into the season he wasn't going to play. I mean, it would have been it would have been a miracle if we played over 125 games, but it looks like he's on track to playing less than that. So so, so what are the options out there to replace him? Well, you got to hope. You got to get Wilmer Flores right. I, saw, I actually saw him 
last week when he played up at Binghamton, I was there when he was supposed to come up in the ninth, and they pulled him because he was going to be called up. So, you know, you, you've got to try and get him right. And he's in a particularly tough position because I personally thought that he would get a shot at the everyday second baseman job, and, you know, he didn't get it. And there's a good reason for that, you know, because Neil Walker is, I think, is still an improvement. But for him, it just feels mental, you know, just trying to get back into the swing of things. It's one of the reasons, I mean, I think they made the right call with Daniel Murphy, but just to have him as insurance. I don't know. They could play first, he could play third, you could play him all over the diamond, but. I don't know if they made the right call with Daniel Murphy. I mean, the guy's on a tear right now. What are you going to, you were going to give him X amount per year to be a situational guy? Well, that's true. But you I mean, can't, you can't, can't afford, especially that. with the Mets, who are even though they're in a New York team, they're working with a budget, and they have to save some of that money for these pitchers while they come up. You have to pay them. You think the Mets will regret it if, if the Nationals somehow win the division and, and they win a title because of Murphy? Oh, I don't. They can't even if, get to the NLCS. Let them work. Well, if Daniel Murphy's the, the driving force, obviously that's not going to be happy about it. But I don't the think the guy's batting re- four hundred right now. I mean, that's, that's, I never see this coming at all. I thought it'd be like what he was before, but he just—he was I, always a good. He's always a three hundred type hitter who had the potential to be four hundred. Well, not to be four hundred, but a guy who was always consistent, a professional hitter. That's just insane. What People just right were now. taken aback by his infusion of power in the World Series. That all of a sudden he became Babe Ruth hitting a home run every game. <laughs> well, he was. I mean, look at that, that that playoff run he had was like the the most the best uh, playoff run I think I ever seen for a hitter. A hit like that. We ha- yeah, we haven't really seen anything like that since Barry now. Melvin Bonds up- had a great year. Barry Bonds did it back in 02, and then even back in 2008, formerly BJ, now Melvin Upton Jr. did it with the Rays. Carlos Beltran, every time he got into the postseason, though. Yeah, but 2004. Beltran's average in the postseason is a 434. Yeah, so I mean, you've seen it before, but Daniel Murphy yeah. took it to a whole other level. Yeah. With it. it wasn't just how many consecutive games he hit home runs. It was who he was hitting them off of. Kershaw, Granke, yeah. Arietta, Lester. He, he was hitting them off everybody. I mean, Aaron had one in that 2009 year. I mean, that we're was not, one but that, that was about <laughs> well, I'm just saying, he had one good year, yeah, but yeah. that was it. That was he had a great year that year. He yeah. finally didn't have struggle in the postseason. Yeah, that was his best year. But uh, yeah, this Mets team they're gonna have to figure it out because they gotta tread water right now. Make sure Harvey gets on track and and hopefully Dave can come in. But they just gotta make sure they're around at least half a game or even off a game on Nationals. So now here's my question: With David Wright being out now for the next about two months, what do you do with his contract? You have no choice. I mean, you it's can't. it's not the NFL. Everything's guaranteed. Yeah, you can't really do much. You, you live with what you get. I mean, he, he, they they signed for, I believe, until like 20, 20 I think he's an eight-year deal. Eight-year deal, yeah. I think he is signed through 2020. But yeah, if you so. go back to when he signed it, you had to sign him in that contract. They were at talking the time? Gonna yeah, at the trade time, him yeah. to the Colorado Rockies. You had looked at, you let Jose Reyes go after he won a batting title. So they had to have a face of the franchise. David Wright was that guy. Yeah, so they're going to have to just, like I said, they're going to have to just tread water, just make sure they're on, they're on the treadmill to, to being around the Nationals. By the time he comes back, hopefully they can push it, win the division, and then be on track with for the postseason. With that pitching staff, anything is possible. Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the one thing you could say. Like, they have the pitching staff, so whatever offense they got, whatever it takes, the pitching staff's going to pretty much bail them out in any situation. This week, ESPN released uh, a list of uh, 100 most famous people in the world. In sports, right? Yeah, in sports, pretty much. Ay, caramba. And uh, 
Well, it, you know, the, the, what surprised me the most is that who's number one? Because I thought it'd be LeBron James, but he's number two. Number one is Cristiano Ronaldo, the famous soccer player on Real Madrid, who makes a lot of money well, and can do whatever he wants. Well, just because soccer isn't popular here doesn't mean it's not popular across the world. It's, exactly, it's popular everywhere. Though well, I think a few of the, at least three of the top four are soccer players. Yeah, and you got Messi, Neymar, both on the same team. And then you know, the list goes and on. And that's three, four, by the way. Yeah, three and four. And this goes on. You got Roger Fidel at uh, five. Whoa, for 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 what now? For tennis. Federer. Federer. Yeah, Roger Federer. Wait, what? <laughs> what? That's why. Is that Federer? That's Federer. Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, that's why he's <laughs> You got Durant coming in at six. Yeah, Durant six. Which is a little high, I would think. Uh, I'm shocked know. that Tiger Woods is still in the top he's, ten, to he, be honest. Well, he's still famous, regardless of how regret how, how much he sucks. Now, it's amazing that Steph Curry is behind Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, Kobe Bryant eleventh. Uh, Bale, he's another player on Madrid. Uh, Wayne Rooney's still good. He's number seventeen. So what it's saying also, is basically that although soccer isn't popular here, it's popular everywhere. And. I mean, you got a grow who's pretty much popular as well. Let me ask you a question. Where is Serena Williams on that list? Number 25. She's right behind Sergio Aguero. Can you tell player. me how Sharapova is still in the top 20? Well, she's a very popular player. I know she's not as popular as Serena Williams, but she's popular. But she's popular for all the wrong reasons right now. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why. And then you go, well, you got Melo and Derek Rose to surprise me. He's number 30 on this well, list. I think that a lot of it they take with endorsement money and things like that, the formula ESPN use, which is a little confusing because Derek Rose higher than a guy like Steph Curry. I mean, I know I harped on that earlier when I said Carmelo's higher than him, but Steph Curry's a two-time MVP. He's changing the way the game is played, and he's not even in the top 20. Look at this. Peyton Manning's number 38. Chris Paul, 39. Beckham, 40. Blake Griffin, 40. You got Amari Stoudemire on that list, which which surprised me. Yeah, I don't know how Stoudemire's on this list. Jeremy Lin's 60. Well, because of the global impact of the guy like Jeremy Lin has had over his career. Yeah, even, you, you even have a Formula One racer in Lewis Hamilton who's at 61. You got Floyd Mayweather on the list. Alex Morgan is number 55 on this list. Oh, you, Hamilton's you 59. Excuse me. So what do you make of the list overall? I mean, it's based on reputation, uh, impact, I guess, on the community and the world and, and how people view him, view that athlete, I guess. I mean, I mean, I wasn't surprised that a lot of soccer players were up higher. Andy Dalton's on that list? Yeah, Andy Dalton's on this list. You know, a really reason why Rudy Gay's on this list. A lot of, yeah, a lot of this is active players. Like, they don't consider any who, person who isn't active. Like, Michael Jordan isn't even, like, considered at all. It would seem like if it's the 100 most famous people in sports, you would have non-active players also. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of players. And, and I always say this. That's why, like, a lot of people don't watch soccer, but... but they have all a lot of top players that are like top ten, top fifteen, because these guys are, these guys are great athletes overall. I'm I mean, just interested to see how they came up with the formula because they're not even considering the greats of the past, which you could consider as disrespectful. And quite honestly, I, I just pulled up baseball because I wanted to really see something. Bryce Harper is the most popular baseball player on that list. He's also at number seventy-one, which comes really to show that baseball doesn't have the juice it used to. A lot of people find it. Uh, I'm not gonna say like boring, but it just it's not as entertaining as it was before. Well, Bryce Harper was someone who said the game needs to change, and he's absolutely so, right. Yeah, but you have Mike Trout 73, Ortiz 78, Cano 85, Miguel Cabrera 88. I mean Tanaka's 89. I was about so. to say he's the only Yankee on that entire list. 
That would really get George Steinbrenner mad. It's a little crazy. A Rod isn't on the list. Yeah, you're surprised, right? In terms of terms of most famous people, A Rod is up there. (laughs) Even Uh, if it is infamous. I I go back to soccer ball. Cristiano is on number one. Messi number three. Neymar number four. These be our top players that that are like higher than everybody else. The last one is Tim Howard. He's from the United States. So like even Tim Howard's on that list. I'll take that. He's a great. I athlete. just have a problem with how it's such an arbitrary concept, though. Fame. Well, try to explain. Well, you can't just you. They're basing it based on Twitter followers, money, endorsements. I mean, that's really weird. I don't got a lot of people. Okay, following so him. you think Derrick Rose in this current state is more famous than Steph Curry? No, I think Derrick Rose is much think more Carmelo famous. Carmelo Anthony is more famous than Steph Curry. I mean, a lot of people still like Carmelo Anthony, even though he's you know not doing well. Yeah, but th- this is called the most famous people in sports. But also maybe the most like they get like you said that's a lot of followers. I just don't so. understand the non-inclusion of a guy like Michael Jordan. I mean I know he's not active. He owns a team. He's literally probably one of the most recognizable faces in the world. Seriously, I mean people wear him every day. Even Derek Jeter. This this week, uh, Jordan was with Neymar too doing their little Nike collections. Yeah, because Neymar is the first soccer player to wear the Jumpman logo and yeah. cleats. Which he's a great, he's dope. a great, he's a great soccer player too. Like he's Brazil, he's a young, he's young right now. He's good, but that's pretty yeah, interesting. But like, okay, take it aside. Pele isn't on the list. Muhammad Ali. I mean, you're talking about the world's most famous people in sports. They that, that that's the title of the list. It doesn't specify active or non-active. So that's my problem with it. So we got good news and bad news. The bad news is we're off next week. The good news is if we make a finals prediction. That's wrong. You can call us on it because looking at the schedule, if we get back in time for finals game seven, that means that my prediction of the Warriors winning in six is wrong. The Warriors are winning the series. That's in, that's the only part five. that matters. In that, five. But in theory, that's the only part that matters. It doesn't matter the games. No one's going to remember the games, how many games they won 20 years from now. They're just going to remember that they capped off a 73-9 and nine season. Check, I'm just saying just it's in six. Check That's out it. the article on the website I wrote. They're winning in five, and I have reasons to believe that. Just check it out. I'm well, telling you. Yeah, yeah, the winning in five. I think you can book that. They you can <laughs> book that. You said the same thing about the last series, that they were going to well, win in well, five. Well, listen. I, and it I, I went seven. They went. They were down 3-1 after five. <laughs> it was matchup, though. I just feel like the matchup-wise, they're going to win in five against Cleveland. I, just, I feel like, like I said, Cleveland doesn't play defense. So it's not like they're going to get better on all defensively. Right, I mean, they were still right, down 3-1 going right. into game five in the last series. But you, you look at the way that Golden State's playing right now, they're on a roll. You can almost kind of compare it to – Teams that come down from a big deficit in hockey or baseball when they're just come up from a 3-0 deficit and they just don't lose because yeah. they're on a roll because they've been playing on the brink of elimination. Every game means is so important. And Cleveland kind of coasted through the Eastern Conference playoffs. So. Yeah, and they, like I said, they weren't challenged enough. And then we were, they got hit, and it's like they're not – I don't know if they're going to – maybe they'll respond game two. And they were challenged by a Raptors team who wasn't even at full strength. Exactly. Just think about that. They weren't at full shooters. strength. Biombo looked like Dennis Rodman at the Kenda. <laughs> They were not at full trap, and they, they still want to And games. people still want to say Cleveland is so much better than the Warriors. No, it's because mm, it's they, not even look close. who they played. Warriors are here. Cleveland is here right now. And since y'all can't no, see not. it, his hand is at his forehead, one hand where he says the Warriors are, and the other hand is by his chin. So there. They're not. They're not. It's just not like offensively, maybe they're close, but defensively, they're just they're not there. 
So yeah, we've all got the Warriors. Call us on it if you want, but we're probably going to be white. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the TuneIn Radio. And follow us on Twitter at Morinus10. At Jeremy EPS. And at N underscore A-S-O-N-Y-E. Follow the whole site on The Dunk 360 because there can only be one. That's right. We're out. See you in two weeks.